1: Welcome into the 15th episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick, as always, alongside Chris Whittingham. Thank you for finding us. You can download us on iTunes as well as on Stitcher if you happen to have Android. And make sure that you subscribe so you get our most recent episodes. We typically put out two or three episodes per week. One of the things that we want to do a little bit more on the podcast going forward is bring in experts to sit in with Chris and I for the 45 minutes or so that we do this particular pod. And today we are pleased to be joined by Jason Cole, who has about 25 years of experience as an NFL insider. He's worked on a number of different platforms. He was originally based here in South Florida. Thank you, Jason, for joining us.
2: Uh, good to be here. What's going on, guys? I hope I'm I'm on the 1500th one of these when you, you get it rolling. So.
1: That might be next week. We'll see. We'll see if we get to it that quickly. Uh, Jason's all, Jason also happens to be a journalism professor up at Gainesville, so maybe we'll, you'll make your uh, your students listen to the podcast too.
2: We could go that direction. Well, we'll make them subscribe. Forget about just listening.
1: That, that's, that's, that's an even better idea. Bribing subscribers. We like it. <laughs> that's right, for grades. Let's, uh, let's get to the topic today. What we wanted to hit on a little bit, and we think that this is something that – People will be talking about here for the next few weeks is the quarterback situation in the NFL, and this projects is one of the more interesting off seasons we've seen in recent years, not only because the draft seems to have a number of viable starting candidates in it, perhaps as many as five guys who could go in the first round, but also because there are legitimate free agents this year who could actually be starters in other teams that's not something we always see and there's also some some sort of legacy names on teams who may not be there once the season starts so we're going to touch on the five reasons that the NFL offseason will be interesting at the quarterback position and we're going to start here with Kirk Cousins who you know, maybe signing uh, one of the richest contracts, if not the richest contract in NFL history, coming up here. The Washington at Redskins. At least this have, week. At least this week uh, to pass Jimmy Garoppolo. The Washington Redskins traded for Alex Smith, so making their intention pretty clear here going forward. I wanted to bring uh, Chris on this uh, to start with. How do you. Um, How do you sort of evaluate Kirk Cousins as a 29-year-old player in the league, someone who's coming off a 4,093-yard season? Do you consider him to be an elite guy?
0: No, no, I don't. I I think we can start pretty well straight away. You look at his best seasons were with amazing skill, position, talent, and I just think that there is kind of this line of demarcation. We've talked about this before as it relates to Ryan Tannehill, this kind of line of demarcation between – The quarterbacks that I'm okay giving that long-term big money extension to and quarterbacks that I'm not, and I, I think Cousins is just below that cut line. I would say that cut line is right around Cam Newton in terms of who I'd feel comfortable with paying a lot of money because he can... Singularly, you know, carry an offense. We've seen in Carolina, you know, they've been without a solid group of receivers for a pretty long while now, and they still perform at a pretty high level on the offensive side of the football. I don't think Kirk Cousins, without good uh, skill position talent, without a good offensive line, without a decent running game, can carry a team. And that's why I'd just be hesitant. Now, obviously, the teams that are in for him are teams that have had so little at the quarterback position that Kirk Cousins would represent a significant upgrade. I don't think he represents a significant
1: upgrade. Where do you see him, Jason?
2: It's a very interesting question because if you just said, how is he today? You would say, no, he's not necessarily a top 10 guy. He's probably in that 11 to 16 category. And what I like to call it's sort of a derivation of Alex Smith, which is I consider Alex Smith your league average starter, which is you can win games with him. You can maybe even make the playoffs. But he, in and of himself, is not going to elevate your team. The problem you have is that the guys who are in that elite category, like Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers and, you know, we can go on, you know, obviously Aaron Rodgers, a bunch of those guys are about to age out of the league or talking about retirement. I mean, Phillip Rivers has talked about retirement. Ben Roethlisberger has talked about retirement. You know, Tom Brady is 40. Drew Brees is 38. Those guys are going to be leaving the league pretty quick. And all of a sudden, Kirk Cousins starts to move up the rankings a little bit. And if there aren't a lot of young guys to sort of displace him, you know, Carson Wentz will see about whether he returns. Jared Goff, is that real or a creation of Sean McVeigh's imagination? Where is he in all of this? Then I think Cousins becomes a little bit more valuable because I think we're all of a sudden going to go into a new era here where. Quarterback play is not going to be as great as it has been over the last 15 years. And that's why I think what raises Cousins' value a little bit in this market. It's a This is a fascinating year because there are so many quarterbacks. We have never seen this. And I've covered the league since it started free agency in 1992. That was my first year covering. This is a historic year for quarterback availability.
1: One of the things about Cousins that bugged me a little bit, I don't want to make it too much about one game, but I look back to two years ago – in the last game of the season, where the Redskins just had to beat a Giants team that didn't have anything to play for in that last game of the season, and Cousins couldn't produce a touchdown. And and I look, you know, as I watched that game, I just thought to myself, all right, is this guy really better than average? But I see your point, Jason, that we have a lot of, and Chris and I have talked about this on previous pods. That you know, again, when we cu- we talk about Ryan Tannehill, which we'll do a little bit later on this pod, is that you know some guys start to look better as other guys fall away. And, and so I can see. That happening. Now, let's get to the teams that that would have interest in him and where he could go because it it seems like there are maybe as many as five or six teams that he could end up with at this stage.
2: Right. There are, I basically broke this into three categories of teams that need quarterbacks. Obviously, the ones that are in the highest need are Arizona, Buffalo, the New York Jets, Denver, and Cleveland. They don't have anybody to hang their hat on at this point in time. Minnesota is close, but I think they're going to figure out. Something among the three guys that they have who are unrestricted free agents after this year. The New York Giants are next. Jacksonville is also in that next group that I talk about, these medium need teams where you just don't trust Blake Bortles. Now they're going to go with Bortles. That's what they're talking about for next year, but I don't think they're necessarily comfortable with them. And then there's this last category where I've got four teams that I would say they're looking around going, okay we have to be prepared for what's next. Miami is one of those teams in case Tannehill does not come back or does not continue to progress. I think San Diego, I know that ownership there has talked about drafting their next quarterback, being ready for it. Baltimore, where Flacco has been uneven, and Cincinnati. And there's always other teams that are looking around for quarterbacks. But you're looking at a third of the league to maybe almost half of the league has got their eye on the quarterback position in either a desperate way or a curious way.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're you're kind of getting down to these teams too that are just desperate, right? And so even if you're looking at a, a team like the Denver Broncos, would they like to find a franchise quarterback or someone who could play at that Peyton Manning uh, fifty five touchdown level? Absolutely. And I think uh, that, that's been <laughs> I think that's everybody been,
2: wants that.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean I, I think you you but but you look at you know, from a Denver point of view That's really been the one failure of the Elway era so far is that they've gone for Osweiler, they've gone for Paxton Lynch, and they still haven't kind of solved that long-term issue. They they had the stopgap with Peyton, but they haven't been able to figure it out. But would Kirk Cousins represent an ability to win the Super Bowl? Because I think what the Eagles did this year, what the Jags did this year, what the Vikings did this year, obviously in the context of history, they are outliers because they got very far into the playoffs without great quarterback play. But... Could they represent a model for a team going forward like Denver, who thinks that their defense is of that caliber, to if we just have okay quarterback play, a decent offense – can we get to the Super Bowl? Can we win the Super Bowl? And I think, you know, Denver could probably look at themselves and at least talk themselves into that. So would they be okay paying Kirk Cousins an insane amount of money to try and answer that question? I think they're at the very least willing to try it. And that's why Kirk Cousins has multiple suitors. It's why this market for him has grown so much, even though his play hasn't necessarily gotten better over the years.
2: Well, I, I, look, Denver obviously proved that they could win a Super Bowl with substandard quarterback play in that year okay Mm because look peyton manning was not anything close to peyton manning that year he was awful really and he was workable during that playoff run he didn't make mistakes he kept them out of bad situations he played to the strength of the defense and look they got a little bit lucky he made i think three plays the entire playoff run you know third down play against pittsburgh to get him into scoring position and two touchdown passes against new england that afc championship game that's the only thing that he did during that playoff run. So you come back and you say, if you're John Elway, and, and I get a little bit uh, prickly when people say that Elway's failed, given the fact that he's been there seven years, they've made two Super Bowls, won one, and he's the guy, he's the reason why they signed Peyton Manning. So his failure over the last two years to find a successor, I, I'll just take a little bit of issue with that. Look at the Dolphins post Marino. It took them 15 years to find anybody that was half decent. It's just a really hard thing to do. All of that said, Cousins becomes really important, or any veteran quarterback becomes really important because you have to take advantage of that window in which your defense is still good. Because defenses do not stay together for 7, 8, 10 years. there, There are too many moving parts, and we're already starting to see it a little bit with Denver where they're probably going to lose a key to leave. And some of the other guys are aging out and Derek Wolf is not the same player he was two years ago because he's banged up. Von Miller is still great, but they've had to fill in other positions and they've had to change. And this is the flaw of Seattle and other teams that have won championships with a great defense. They can win one, but it's hard to win more than one because you have too many moving parts to try and keep together and you have to pay too many guys. That's why the, the best way to build your team is always around your quarterback. All that said, Cousins becomes important. Any veteran quarterback who can come in and sort of make them reasonable on offense becomes important because the one thing that they haven't been the last two years is even passable on offense. No, no pun intended. And so Cousins becomes important for them. I think that even, even Sam Bradford becomes important for them, and they can probably even live with maybe the next guy down on this list if they don't get Cousins. But I think the priority is definitely to get a quarterback, and Cousins is obviously the best one on this list.
1: All right, let's get to the second reason that the quarterback situation is interesting over the next few weeks. And let's get to who is, if we're going to agree that drew drew breeze is going back to new orleans and, and i think that seems pretty clear and with the premise that kirk cousins although i, I agree with chris uh, that i don't put him as an elite guy but that he's probably the best free agent available in this particular class i guess the question becomes chris who who would you put there as the number two guy that's available beyond kirk cousins if you believe that cousins is is still even though maybe not elite is still the top guy who's available
0: I think you're probably picking from the group of Minnesota quarterbacks. If we're talking about free agents, whether it is Bridgewater or Keenum, Or Sam Bradford; those are probably the three guys that are available right now. You could talk yourself into AJ McCarron, uh, given the fact that we haven't even seen him very much. But I think I think in the aftermath of the Brock Osweiler situation, I think teams might be a bit more hesitant to go full bore for a guy who we haven't seen start on a regular basis. So I think it would probably have to be one of those Minnesota guys. I agree with Jason. We talked about this before we started. It's probably Sam Bradford of that group. But if someone wanted to, to look at what Case Keenum did this year and say that, you know, I, I really rate him and I think if we brought him in as our starter, we could do okay, I'd be careful with how good that skill position group is in Minnesota. But I can understand that argument given what Keenum did both in getting the team to the playoffs and winning a playoff game. Uh, I would say it's probably one of those Minnesota guys.
2: I think that that's wise. is way that Chris is looking at this, I will say this. If you think you can get Nick Foles, it becomes a really interesting debate to me between Nick Foles and Sam Bradford. And look, Bradford Bridgewater and Keenum, to to some extent, are all sort of like bruised fruit in your uh, typical grocery store where they look really good if you look at them in run, one way, but then you start checking around and, you know, there's a knee problem here. There's a knee problem there. There's a guy with, you know, who's six feet tall over here who is limited. And then you go to Foles and you say, okay, maybe I can overpay for Foles. The problem with Foles is because of the complications with Carson Wentz's knee, and that's this, this is not just an ACL It's an ACL plus at least one other ligament uh, that that had to be repaired in that knee, and maybe two. And so I think that that recovery for Carson Wentz is going to take a full nine to 11 months, and he may not be back until the season. So if you're Howie Roseman and you're Doug Peterson, and you're sitting there saying, hey, look, we're the defending champs. We want to try and get there again. And take advantage of what we have because we just won a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback and a backup left tackle and missing some other parts there. You know, what can we do if we're we're healthy at some other positions and we just stay consistent at quarterback for the season and wait for wins to come back? I think it becomes fascinating for them. I think that they keep foals given all of these situations, unless somebody just wants to blow the doors down and give them a first-round pick plus something else. So Foles is interesting a little bit, but yeah, ultimately, I think it's Bradford. Some people can make a case for McCarron or Tyrod Taylor if they want to. I think McCarron is your classic let's make a deal player, which is, you know, you got Monty Hall standing there and offering you what's behind door number three is a mystery. And I think that AJ McCarron is that mystery. And I think only Hugh Jackson has, or Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati, has a really good feel for what kind of player he is. From the the players I've talked to in Cincinnati, he's gutsy, he's tough, he's got a little chutzpah to him, but he's wildly inconsistent when you watch him over time.
1: The Minnesota situation, as Chris mentions, is, is fascinating to me because you mentioned they're all dinged up in some way with Bridgewater coming off the injury with Bradford. You never know if he's going to stay healthy. And, you know, as accurate as he was when he was playing a couple of years ago, it didn't really produce a whole bunch in terms of yardage. But the, the one that that's really interesting to me is, is Keenum, because I, I just don't know what you make of the season that he had now at age 30. But if you look at at the numbers from last year and, you know, the 22 touchdowns, just seven interceptions, didn't make a lot of big mistakes, played to the strength of his defense, got the ball to his wideouts consistently, and they were both able to put up big numbers. Like he didn't look scared of the moment at all. In the postseason either. And, and so I, I just wonder, is that a guy? Uh, because there's always a guy who gets overpaid in the free agent market, right? I mean, I mean, there's, there's always a guy that you see a little taste, you, you see a little bit, and then all of a sudden that guy ends up getting big money, and then there's regrets two years later. I mean, whether it's, uh, I mean, you go back to what was a Matt Flynn, others uh, over the years, well, that's been Osweiler. the case with... Osweiler is another one right and there wasn't even that Keenum was more impressive than Osweiler and, and Osweiler ended up getting the ridiculous contract in Houston where does Keenum end up potentially if he's not the Minnesota quarterback and is this for real with him because I mean we've seen late bloomers guys like Rich Gannon and others but uh, you know this would be a really late bloomer in terms of the opportunity that he finally
2: got. If you look at some of Keenum's stats, they indicate that he is a late bloomer and he's put up some really big games against good teams here, even when he was a backup, you know, sort of quasi-starter backup with the Rams as they were transitioning to golf, right, uh, in 2016. So there's data that supports that Keenum is actually a real player. I think some of it is driven by, you know, simplistic game plans and keeping him within certain boundaries and that's okay you know you can play that way i think there's an upper limitation to him i mean he's not going to beat you with his arm downfield a lot he's not going to beat you outside the numbers a lot in the right situation i think he can be effective i don't think he's going to raise the level of your team enough that all of a sudden you're talking about a championship caliber team
0: I, I just want to make the quick point that I think around the league, you, you mentioned the phrase the right situation. I think that's going to end up becoming bigger and bigger as you kind of move on because I think if also substandard quarterbacking can, you know, at least sort of get on by, then great coaching can also make that difference. And I think, you know, you look at for example, what Keenum was under Jeff Fisher in Los Angeles versus what he was in Minnesota, that's a quality offensive coordinator who's now gotten a head coaching job putting him in that position to succeed.
1: Prescription products
0: require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s
1: if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer.
0: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. You look at Nick Foles. I think Nick Foles is interesting. You mentioned that Philly might keep him just because of their quarterback situation with the once coming back. He might be a midseason trade candidate, but you can win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles if you're a team that's really well coached. That is a significant difference I think when we're talking about these situations is can you find places for these quarterbacks if they are places that don't have quarterbacks already or that haven't figured out their offense already is it necessarily the player who's been at that position or is it that that coach can't put their quarterback in a position to succeed and so if you're sending Case Keenum to one of the worst teams in the league to try and rectify that problem is it the quarterback or was it the coach to begin with and I, and I think that will come into play when we're talking about a lot of these guys.
2: Well, I'll make two points and counter to that. Number one, you know, are you taking on Jeff Fisher's coaching ability, Chris? Are you, <laughs> how dare you? But <laughs> uh, my, my second point, more realistically, is it, it's, I get exactly what you're saying. You know, the issue at part is, okay, we understand, but what are we paying the quarterback in that process? So, like, what investment are you making in Keenum? or Foles, or Bradford, or Cousins, or Tyrod Taylor, or McCarron, or Bridgewater, or whatever it happens to be, you know how, how deep is that commitment to that player, and how does that change your team and how it builds going forward?
1: I want to transition to our next topic, but what you hit on there, Jason, is something that Chris and I have covered in a previous pod, which is this idea that, that some teams, in light of what happened in Philadelphia this year, are just going to look at the quarterback position as a two-starter position, I mean, that that, they, that you need two guys who can start, and it's something we're going to talk about when we get into the Dolphins here a little bit later, but what Philadelphia proved, what Minnesota proved this year is that, you know, the backup quarterback is critical, and you look at what the Dolphins' you know, situation, they had a backup in Matt Moore, who they've been paying now for, what, five, six years, who they didn't trust to be the starter, This season and had to go out and spend $10 million on Jay Cutler when Tannehill got hurt. So I do think that at that position, you have to see teams taking maybe more of a two-tiered approach to it as opposed to just sort of getting the guy and then getting a second guy who's not a threat so that it won't create controversy. I think more and more teams are going to go to the two-starter approach here, as expensive as that can be when you're dealing with a salary cap. But let's get to the third reason that the offseason is interesting uh, at the quarterback position. And so you you hit on this a little bit, Jason, because it sounds like you think that Case Keenum may be a guy who's left out here of the starter carousel. But when you look at the rest of the the free agents that are available, who else do you see that has been a starter who may not be a starter next year?
2: Let me start with kind of a reaction to what you just talked about with the two-starter approach or the two-quarterback approach. I think what adds to that is that offensive line play is so bad around the league that you almost have to have two guys because it's basically for half the teams in this league, it's a death march to keep their quarterbacks alive. That said, when you talk about guys getting sort of left out, and we talked about the number of teams that are in a high need the teams that are in a sort of medium need, the teams that are looking around. And we didn't even really talk about what's available in the draft. Okay. You know, aside from these six or seven quarterbacks, you know, from you know Cousins, Bradford, maybe Foles, Keenum, Tyrod Taylor, AJ McCarron, Teddy Bridgewater, throw on top of that four or five guys in the first round of the draft. Josh Allen, Baker, you know, Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, you talk about those guys. All of a sudden, yeah, there's a car- there's a, a musical chairs that's going to go on, and you wonder, okay, who's not going to get a seat? And I would say that Keenum, Tyrod Taylor, and McCarron, or guys, and even Teddy Bridgewater, those guys better be worried about where what seat they get, because if they don't get a seat really early with a team that's committed to them and believes in them, they're looking at going on to that backup carousel in the NFL where you stay with a team for two or three years, maybe, maybe a while, but you're always the guy that they're looking at like Matt Moore, or you're going two years in this place. And then you try and go to another place where you sell yourself as a, as a guy who could start again, but you know that they're going to be drafting somebody to develop as well. So you've got to constantly beat out somebody who that they're more interested in. So if I'm, if I'm counseling those guys, I'm going to have a very strong plan about where they end up, what coaches they're playing for, how the team, how what team believes in them, because otherwise, I could be sending this guy on a you know long journey over the next five or six years trying to find a place that is his own.
0: Yeah, I, I think Bridgewater is is definitely the most likely of the guys who we're talking about to not find a job because of the health situation. It's really difficult to look at him and feel comfortable that after an injury that severe, we we barely saw him in Minnesota, that he's going to be fine. To me, when when you look at sort of the, these situations going on around the league. The other thing that's a bit dangerous, if you are bringing a guy like this in as a backup, is he going to be threatening to the starter? And I think that's why you see some quarterbacks, have, or some teams having as their number two quarterbacks, guys, you're like, wait, wait, that's really what you're going with? And I think it, it's in large part because you don't want your starter to kind of feel uncomfortable or feel like his position uh, is under I was, threat.
2: Can I, can I interrupt you for a sure. second on that? I hate that. I absolutely hate that. If I have to take a quarterback who has to worry about who's behind him, I don't want that dude on my team. This is a competitive business. Look, you can be annoyed. You can be bothered. You can be angry with me, but I don't want to have to placate you. This is like Jimmy Johnson when he took Walsh and had Aikman already. And basically, he said to Troy, hey, tough. You You don't like it? I'm sorry, but go win the position. I, I, to, to,
0: to me, the, the one thing, though, is when it starts to become toxic, kind of like what happened in Miami this year, where even Matt Moore, who I wouldn't say is of a quality that you know fans should be calling for him, but after every offensive possession for Jay Cutler that goes three and out, the fans start booing and they get
2: yeah you know, but that's it, that's jay cut that's jay that was a bad situation uh, look jay cutler wasn't there permanently you're just i mean look and and jay's just toxic in and of himself i mean like you know jay just doesn't exude a lot of love and confidence and you know like people don't get behind jay cutler cuz he's always got that look like he's got a really bad piece of cheese under his nose <laughs> right like and and, and so like, that's just – that's a special, you know, particular situation to me. Like, but, but, okay, so I, but, but, but if you're Tampa,
0: right, and you have Jameis Winston, but you bring in Tyrod Taylor to back him up, and the Bucs start one and four, and the calls start to begin for Tyrod Taylor to start, I, I don't know if, that, if that's necessarily in the best interest of the Bucs if they're committed to Jameis Winston as luck, their long-term guy. Tough
2: luck, Jameis. Start to play like you belong. Yeah, That's how – you're the number one pick. All right. You don't like it. You're uncomfortable. Play better. Stop throwing the ball around and being sloppy with the ball. Learn the playbook a little bit better instead of just talking all the time. Like you're a great leader, actually be a great leader. That's how I'd look at it. Yep. And if whether I was an owner or whether I was a coach, that's how I would look at it.
1: I mean, I think the situation in, in Jacksonville is is an interesting one, too, because uh, th- I mean, if they bring in someone who is a, a serious threat to Bortles, at this point, after Bortles, and we can argue how much he had to actually do with this, but after he played pretty well, obviously to, to win the game, he played really well against Pittsburgh, and, and they've now committed to him. I mean, is that a situation that if if you bring in another quarterback, that that becomes a toxic deal there? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah,
2: <laughs> guys, I mean, look. Okay, if they don't get along, as long as as I'm winning games, you know, if it becomes so toxic, I can't have him on my team. Okay, I'll cut one guy. I don't have a problem with that, but I get really like, I've, I've done this for, you know, again, since 1992. And all these teams that talk about pitter pattering around their quarterback and their ego and all this other stuff. It's like, Hey, Blake Bortles, dude, you weren't that good. right? <laughs> you know, we're paying you a lot of money. If you want to be the guy, be the guy, work at it, play well, do whatever you have to do. But don't be surprised if I bring somebody else in who wants your job. That's how this is going to be and you need to protect your job and let's just say this Tom Brady was competing for his job every single day when and he was nervous about Garoppolo. Cool Brett Favre did not like having Aaron Rodgers in there as a first round pick ready to take his job. Good work harder at it be sharp all right you know it, it'll work it, it, will, it will work itself out and if it becomes toxic for the team to handle, OK, then that's when the coach or the owner or some or the general manager steps in and says, OK, we got to solve it then. But competition in and of itself, this is a place for big boys. And if you're, you're too much of a to handle somebody competing for your job, tough luck.
1: All right, let's get to our fourth reason that the NFL offseason is interesting at the quarterback position, and that's the draft. You mentioned this earlier, Jason, as far as how many guys could potentially – go in the first round here. And and I'm curious to get your thoughts on what teams might wait for the draft. But I just want to circle back with Chris on this because we did a a podcast where we we focused on some of the the draft prospects about three weeks ago. Um, Has anything sort of changed in your view, Chris, as far as as where these guys might line up and, and, you know, sort of the questions about guys in particular, uh, Baker Mayfield and, and Lamar Jackson?
0: I don't think the, there has been a ton of movement because you know we've had the senior bowl and we had the the East West game but I, I don't think there were any standout performers in that group uh, you know I read that Baker Mayfield was pretty impressive at, at at the senior bowl but for the most part that that's pretty well stayed the same I've seen some buzz that now teams are thinking about him towards the top 5 uh and, and maybe Those guys just come off the board pretty well at the beginning of the draft, at least when you're talking about uh, Darnold Rosen. And I'd say Baker Mayfield's in that group. Maybe a team talks themselves into Josh Allen. To me, the, the difference, if anything has changed in that period of time, is I think With this sort of increasing chatter about these guys going earlier and earlier, maybe you see a few more desperate moves to move into that region of the draft to to go and get your guy. So maybe you see more trades up to two, trades up to three, to go and find the quarterback that you really want.
2: I know that uh, Scott McLuhan is working... He's working with three teams. I know two of them are the Jets and the Browns, which is out there. And I know that McLuhan loves Baker Mayfield. He was the guy who really push for Seattle to draft Russell Wilson when they took him. And I think he sees a lot of the same things that Mayfield's got. It's a little louder. You know, it's a different personality, but the same kind of traits between Wilson and, and Mayfield. And he really likes that. Now it's just hard, you know, take a, a guy who's six feet tall going in the top in you know, the first round, let alone the top five is is a tough call for a lot of teams. So I would expect that in Cleveland, John Dorsey, probably is looking at a guy like Josh Allen because of the arm strength and the size and probably likes that a little bit more, you know, Rosen and Darnold, they have their fans out there, people who really like them. Some people who've got, you know, point out some flaws, you know, Rosen's a little bit of a tennis player type of kid, you know, kind of a me first, you know, not necessarily in love with football. Darnold's a little sloppy with the ball, sort of like what Marino was maybe coming out of college where he threw a lot of interceptions On a good team, Lamar Jackson, people talk about the size, but, you know, he can really play. Like, I think everybody's got an idea who they think the number one guy is, and that's not going to really, truly change from here. The question is, how are they going to move around to get the guy, and how do they interpret everything else? Now, that being said, the top of the draft, obviously Cleveland controls the top of the draft with the first and the fourth pick, and I think that they may take the pass rusher with the number one pick uh, and then they'll come back and take a quarterback at number four. Cause one of those guys is going to be sitting there. Maybe even the guy that they want, they see what the giants do and they're going to be picking before Denver. Maybe D- Denver goes up and gets one of these guys, but you're still your Cleveland. If you like more than one of these guys, you can sit there and you can take one at number four. However, I believe that Denver, we've talked about this already, is going to fill their need through free agency And that means – and I think that the Jets are going to go and fill theirs through free agency. So that means the teams that are at five and six in the draft will then be waiting and taking quarterbacks later. They won't necessarily be there taking quarterbacks. I think Cleveland, if they go and they get a veteran quarterback in free agency and they commit to that guy, like if they they pay a ton of money for Kirk Cousins and he's willing to go there because he grew up in that area of of the country – then maybe Cleveland says, look, we've got Cousins, we'll roll with Cousins, or we'll roll with McCarron because we believe with them, and we'll use the number one and the number four picks you know, to take other players. So to me, the teams you really watch in the first round, the Giants, maybe the Jets, Dolphins at number 11, Arizona at number 15, and Buffalo's got 21 and 22. And I think that they're sitting there going, let's play the draft board a little bit, Let's hold off on free agency, maybe get a guy a little bit later who will say, we'll give you a three-year contract. Maybe it looks like what Mike Glennon's deal was with Chicago. We'll pay you a bunch of money in the first year. But understand, we may draft a guy in the first round. So to me, Buffalo, Arizona, Miami to a certain extent, the Giants, those are the places where I would be saying you know, the draft really becomes interesting and focal for those teams.
1: Could you see a team like the Chargers uh, currently picking 17th? And, you know, as you mentioned, we don't know how much much longer Phillip Rivers is going to play. Could you see the Chargers maybe making a move? If you don't mind, Ethan, I
0: just wanted to broaden this out a little bit because I think there are five teams I think you could say can maybe start to look towards their future. And the guys you talked earlier, Jason, that might be aging out of the league in Brady. So New England might have to go again for another Garoppolo-type. New Orleans... Uh, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, and the Giants. What for you is the likelihood that any of those teams either use a first-round pick or, or or later in the draft uh, addresses that kind of next-in-line?
2: That's always a tough thing. To me, Miami is the one where I would say, you know, we talked about it, is the one where they have sort of an established starter. And we'll talk about this again a little bit in more depth. The one where I say, okay, it kind of jumps out as a first-rounder. But yeah, San Diego, interesting. Baltimore? Interesting. You know, what do you make of Joe Flacco and what he's become, and how stagnant that offense was. New England, I don't see them in the first round doing this. Um, but if somebody, like if somebody falls, that they really, like if Darnold all of a sudden falls, or Rosen or or Josh Allen falls to the end of the first round. Now Josh Allen's tough because Belichick is really big on accuracy. And Josh Allen is just not a really accurate thrower. He misses a lot. So that would be a really tough one for him. Lamar Jackson will probably be a little bit tough for him as well. But I think you got to be thinking about it, certainly. If you're, if you're New England, you've got to be going through the exercise of, okay, who is our next quarterback? And Jacksonville, they've got a defense that has a chance to be premier. In the first couple of rounds of this draft, do you see a guy that you say, okay, we gotta take that guy because we gotta be ready in case Bortles, you know, regresses again or doesn't take another huge step of progress. So I think there's always a bunch of teams that are looking around in the draft saying, hey, is the right guy there that we need to go pick? And it's just like what Green Bay went through when they took Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers went through this free fall in the draft, you know, slid, you know, all the way from people thinking he might go number one or number two. Dolphins missed on him, a bunch of teams missed on him and all of a sudden he's sitting there and Ted Thompson goes I got to take that guy. And so you never know how it's going to play out for for a team like that. It's really complicated. When you take a guy who's a 6 foot 4 guy who, you know, hopefully can move a little bit, but you know certainly throws from the pocket, that is a really traditional easy way to build your team and you know, okay, I got to have a left tackle, I got to have you know, it's a pretty decent right tackle. I got to be solid in front of him, but not I don't have to be great at my guards and center. Like, everybody knows how to do that. Taking the small quarterback and making it work, that's a little different.
1: All right, let's get to our fifth reason here that the NFL offseason is interesting at the quarterback position. Let's go uh, close to home here a little bit. Jason covered the Dolphins for a long time. I did as well. Chris uh, does their pregame show on the radio now. So, all of us have some familiarity with what's going on with them currently as well and Ryan Tannehill's situation coming off of the ACL injury misses the entire season had a strong season the year before cut short with three games left Matt Moore takes over than this year Jay Cutler takes over Chris and I both kind of weighed in on this in, in previous podcasts about what we think Tannehill is or could be but where do you stand on him Jason
2: I come back to my Alex Smith theory of quarterbacking is he more athletic than Alex Smith A little bit, maybe. Alex Smith can still move a little bit. Is he as accurate as Alex Smith? No, but not far behind. Is he better in the red zone than Alex Smith? Probably marginally, but Alex Smith is terrible in the red zone. So you put it all together and you get, again, a derivation of Alex Smith, which is sort of like Kirk Cousins, which is sort of like this guy, which is sort of like the next guy, which is sort of like the next guy, right? You're okay. With Ryan Tannehill, the thing I've never really seen with him is this huge jump in production where you said, okay, I see where I can build around him and create a championship team when things are not perfect. right? You know, you know, it, he, th- I think, requires that there be a lot of perfect players around him and everything be great. And it always leaves me wanting for more. And so that's why, if I'm the Dolphins, I'm looking at the first round of this thing, and I'm saying, yeah, it might be a quarterback. And Ryan, sorry if you don't like it, but go compete for your job and let me see. And if I've got two quarterbacks, after a year or two of that, I can trade one of them. Just like, again, I go back to Jimmy Johnson, to Troy Aikman, and within six months, okay? people People forget this all the time. That in the 1989 draft, he comes in and takes Troy Eggman with the number one overall pick, less than, uh, it's not even six months. It's, you know, that June or that, I'm sorry, that July in the supplemental draft, he takes, you know, Steve Walsh, which with the pick that eventually becomes the number one pick the following year. Right. (laughs) Okay. So he, he took two number one overall picks in a span of four months and said, guys, go compete. And then when he found out Aikman was the guy, he traded Steve Walsh in the the Guy Lombardo trade, right? Um, the one, the two, and the three, right? He gets the first, second, and third round picks for Steve Walsh out of New Orleans. Okay, so he turns it's a masterful thing that he did. But again, whether whether you end up being like that or whether you end up being like Chicago, where you get Trubisky, and Mike Glennon sort of turns into a ham sandwich you know, you sit there and you go, I want to make sure that I have a quarterback and I have a franchise guy. So sometimes at that position, you guys step out and do something really bold. And I think that the Dolphins are in a position where maybe, just maybe, they got to step out and do something really bold to build around. And if I'm Adam Gase, I'm really thinking about that hard. And Adam Gase is as intense as it gets. I know he wants to turn this thing around. I know he's He's bought into to doing it, but he may have to take a chance on a guy and a quarterback to put either push Ryan Tannehill or to take over for Ryan Tannehill one way or the other. And frankly, I don't think Adam Gase is scared one bit to do something like that. I
0: agree. I, I think Adam Gase has that kind of confidence where even if maybe after the 6-10 and 10 season he doesn't have maybe the job security or the approval rating, let's just say, uh, that, that, that he did after making the playoffs in year one, I still think he has the confidence to go and do it. I, I'm just curious as someone who who studies quarterbacks like he does, which of the five guys he's most interested in. Because I I think what this quarterback draft allows you to sort of do, it's kind of a Rorschach test for the coaches in the front office and and the front offices of the NFL because – there's kind of every different kind of skill set in this draft, and I'm fascinated by how each team kind of evaluates it. And so if the Dolphins go and make a move for Josh Allen, it kind of tells you that Adam Gase likes sort of that prototypical athleticism and frame and, and, that, and arm strength from his quarterback. Or if it's Baker Mayfield, it's you know the accuracy and, and, and all the things that sort of come with and his brashness and confidence. So I am curious where his mind would be if he's studying all these quarterback prospects and sees one that he particularly likes, who it would be. But I, I do think that they're very much in play. Now, at the same time, I also think that Adam Gase genuinely believes that Ryan Tannehill is good. And I think, you know, just sort of watching them in the locker room, And I, I was in a few post game situations, and the way that he's been Tannehill's loudest public defender, I really do think that Adam Gase thought he was on to something towards the end of that first season here. And that the knee injury has kind of derailed, uh, you know, what, what would have been a profitable relationship between coach and quarterback. And I think he's ready to give it one more year to see what this year brings
1: Uh, before he goes and makes that change. (laughs) You don't like the one more year, Jason?
2: I, I hate the one more year thing. I really just hate it. And I know I get it. Like I'm, Chris, you're not wrong. Dolphin fans aren't wrong, you know, because you see a glimpse. I just, I, I don't. I, by,
0: by the way, I, I don't, I don't think Dolphin fans want there to be one more year. I think the Dolphins fans are fired up about Baker Mayfield, but, uh, well, but I, know, I, 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 th- I think Dolphins Bayfield. management and and the coaching staff are ready to give it one more go.
2: Right, I, 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 I get it. I get the logic. Wherever the one more year thing, I just always like because it was. It just reminds me of going through one more year of Dave Wansdab, and which just. Was mind numbing, right? And right. and 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 Ethan saw me go through that, and I just like I I almost pulled my eyeballs out. It was just <laughs> it was so awful, right? I mean, just watching the dumbest human being ever coach. But that aside, other than my you know reflections on the Wanstead era, I would say it to answer one of your points: if there's a guy in this draft who reminds Gase of the work level and intelligence and dedication of Peyton Manning, if there's a guy in that group, and I don't know which, if, if any of them even qualify, and I'm not talking, talking about talent of Peyton Manning, but I'm talking about the effort and the desire of Peyton Manning, like that sort of you know, willingness to work at it, whatever level, if there's a guy like that, whether it's Mayfield or Josh Allen or Rosen or Darnold or even Lamar Jackson, like that quality, if the, if one of those guys has something like that, I think Gase would jump for that.
1: But the thing about it, Jason, is that, and Chris and I have discussed this a little bit, is that, you know, the Dolphins may fall in love with a guy, and that and that guy just might not drop to eleven, and we might never know. Like that, they, they might be planning to replace or sure. replace or or give competition to Ryan Tannehill, and. Not come up with anybody simply because you have these guys get overdrafted, which looks like it's going to happen again. It seems to happen every year where we hear, okay, nobody's yeah. going to move up and take quarterbacks, and then they all end up going in the top 10. I mean, last year, uh, I mean, the trade up for Trubisky but go back a few years I remember a trade-up for Christian Ponder who wasn't supposed to go as high as he went EJ Manuel went higher than he was supposed to go I mean we this always happens like we, where teams get desperate for quarterbacks even in a year where there seem to be more free agents available and so there might be a couple teams that jump the Dolphins and Gase may have fallen in love with one of these guys and he'll just turn around and say no Ryan Tannehill was our guy all along I mean you know how coaches well, yeah, I mean, that's, do that
2: that's, I mean yeah that's that is altogether possible and that's the beauty of the draft.
1: All right, let's do uh let's do a quick uh round robin here before we close up this podcast. Uh, let, let me just throw teams at you two guys and throw at me well who do you think the starter will be? Let's try this exercise here. Okay. Uh go, going into this season. Cleveland. Jason, you start.
2: Uh Cleveland will be Baker Mayfield. Ooh, good
1: one. Uh I'll go with AJ McCarron. Agent McCarron in Cleveland. Okay, in Cleveland, so yeah. uh, it, v- v- very possible they they, uh, it, it, they could obviously it could be both.
2: Could be both. That's true. <laughs> that's that's true. true. Yeah, that's uh, that's
1: that's that's right. It, it could be both. All right, let me uh, let me throw out we'll throw one at you. I'm going to go uh, Buffalo. I'm going to say out on a limb here a little bit. I'm going to go Case Keenum in Buffalo.
2: I will say Josh Allen, Nathan Peterman. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs>
1: That first half didn't convince you otherwise uh, last year, Chris. You still go with Nathan Peterman. Nathan I, uh, Peterman. Den- Denver. Uh, I'm going to say Kirk Cousins. Kirk
0: Cousins. I don't think it's Kirk Cousins because I think Kirk Cousins is going to be a Jet. Uh, I'm going to say oh, man, Sam Bradford.
1: Sam Bradford's an interesting one. All right. Uh, Minnesota. If I'm going to have Case Keenum going elsewhere, I will say Teddy Bridgewater eventually wins that starting job.
2: I will go Bridgewater with Case Keenum as his backup. I'm going to say Case Keenum starts opening day for the Vikings. Yeah.
1: Okay, and uh, and last one here. Uh, I'll let you guys answer first because I need to ponder this one a little bit. Jacksonville, who's the starter in Jacksonville this year? No no, no, no,
2: no, go go Arizona. Jacksonville's going to be Blake Bortles. They're keeping uh, the guy.
1: All right, all right. So let's go Arizona. Wow, I don't know if they're going to draft a guy or not. Uh, I'm going Sam up.
2: Bradford. I'm going Sam Bradford. If you got to think about it.
1: All so, right, uh, yeah. First up. I, I gotta think about it. You go, Chris. Trade for Nick Foles. That's an interesting one. I, I think ah. Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia holds on to Nick Foles uh, for this year, uh, there you just because of the situation with Wentz. So I have to pick one. Um, I'll say they draft a rookie, but maybe they end up with Tyrod Taylor as a temporary starter out there while the rookie develops. All right, thanks for uh, thanks for listening, everybody. You can follow Chris Whittingham at. Chris Whittingham on Twitter. I'm at Ethan J Skolnick. Jason Cole is at what? Jason Cole sixty two. Is that right? You
2: got it. There you go.
1: All right. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe. That way, you will get the episodes automatically. We'll talk to you soon.